home run A plus location. And that might be a value judgment. And maybe you get a little higher cap rate because it's a strong B tenant, but not an A, but you made up for it with the security that incredible location will bring to you. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Alan Fruitman. How you doing, Alan? Excellent. Thank you. Nice well, to be with you this morning. Yeah, nice to have you on the show and a little bit about Alan. He is the owner of 1031tax.com and author of the Triple Net Property Book. He's helped investors purchase more than $1 billion of single-tenant triple net leased investments headquartered in Denver, Colorado. So with that being said, Alan, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Thank you. My focus is very small. I help a target audience of investors looking for passive income. And the type of properties we sell are single tenant, triple net lease properties. These properties range from pharmacies, Walgreens or CVS, restaurants, McDonald's, Taco Bell, Chipotle, dollar stores, auto parts, lots of the same retailers you see when you drive down the street. Those are the properties my clients purchase. So I mentioned in the first line of your bio that you're the owner of 1031tax.com. I'm going to guess, and then please elaborate more, I'm going to guess that you work with a lot of investors who used to be active, made some money, looking to 1031 that money into something that is passive, and therefore you connect them with a triple net lease property. Is that basically the business model? That is the model. Many of my clients come out of apartment buildings or shopping centers, office buildings, even land. They do a 1031 exchange into something much easier to manage, long-term leases with no obligations for the landlord. You ever work with any of your investors who say, Alan, I've got some money. I'm an active investor. I do want to be passive, but I'd like to still get some of the financial benefits of a value-add deal. So is it possible to get the best of both worlds of passive investment via triple net while also incorporating value-add? It's not, no. The triple net properties, there's really no value-add it's considered mailbox money. So you buy the property, you have a long-term lease, long-term meaning 10 to 20 years on the primary term. The tenant will have renewal options of multiple renewal options going 20 plus years for options of renewal. There's really no value add. The concept and the focus is passive. So value add is a great component of real estate. It's just different from what this type of property entails. Are you a broker? I am a broker. Okay. And my clients purchase 
these triple net properties nationwide. So how do you find the triple net lease properties to match up with your clients? One thing that's unique about my model, and there's really nobody in the country that does it the same way that I do, what's unique is we only represent buyers on this national level, and the properties come to me from owners, developers, and brokers all over the country. And my team and I receive usually more than 200 properties every day. And we sift through these properties and pick out the best of the best of the best. And we send an email to our investors of these properties every day. So Monday through Friday, my clients receive an email of new properties that come to market. And the new properties that you share, are those the ones that have already been filtered out or have those passed the filtration process or do you share all 200 that you receive every day? No, they're filtered of location number one, strength of tenant number two, and length of lease number three. And the properties start around a million dollars on the low side and go much higher than there. But our sweet spot is the one to 10 million market point. Okay. And what'd you say? Location, strength of tenants, and what was the third? Number three is length of lease. Length of lease. We try to focus on longer term lease properties. It's a different marketplace for the shorter term lease properties. So when you want a passive investment, the longer horizon is usually more appealing to our clients. Do you prioritize it in that order? One, two, three? Yes. It all comes back to real estate fundamentals. So location is number one. We want a location where the current tenant will thrive, but we also want a marketplace where when the tenant eventually vacates, it's highly likely and easily re-tenanted. And specifically, we look for retail corridors where the tenant in the property is surrounded by many other prominent retailers. So we want that stretch where you're surrounded by Walmart and Kohl's and Home Depot and Lowe's and McDonald's and Chase Bank and all the other national retailers. That prominent corridor is what we look for. Other attributes would be near a university, a big hospital, a highway exit, permanent fixtures that aren't trendy, that will pass the test of time. Okay. And then what about the second thing, strength of tenants? How do you qualify that? Well, after location, the second most important feature would be strength of tenant. If it's a corporation, we want to make sure it's a strong, profitable type of company and an industry that will function under the long term. If it's an industry we think that the internet will replace, we don't show those properties. If it's a company we don't like their standing, we don't show those properties. If it's a franchisee, we want to make sure it's a quality franchisee, many locations, and stable within their financials. And what are some ways you quantify that qualification process with strength of tenants? Many of the companies are publicly traded. So we look at their earnings ratios, their stock performance, their 52-week trends. That's number one. If it's a franchise, over 26 years, I've sold so many properties that I recognize the franchisees from other properties my clients have purchased. I stay in close contact with my clients through the years. 
if there's a problem, they usually call me right away. So I know which tenants have had a track record of stability and which ones have not. I'm not perfect. So when there's a new tenant, there's a learning curve that has to happen. But because I've sold so many properties over such a long duration of time, I can usually weed out the problem properties well in advance of my clients ever seeing them. You said most are publicly traded companies. What are a couple examples, or or maybe tell us a story of a deal that was not a publicly traded company, but still passed your test? Many years ago, I sold a Burger King in Ohio. And when the lease came due, the tenant did not renew. So my client called me and said, Alan, what do we do? Burger King is not renewing. I connected the client with a leasing broker in the local market. And because the location was so strong, within less than one month, we had a bidding war between Chipotle and Starbucks to take over that soon-to-be-vacant Burger King. And the end result was Starbucks winning the bidding war. And we went from a franchise Burger King to a corporate Starbucks, which has certainly a higher credit rating, and the rent went up significantly too. So that's why our first criteria is location. And if our current tenant were to vacate, we want to make sure the future is greater than the present. And then length of lease. Do you have any investors who say, Alan, I do want something that is passive, but I see this area is growing and I think the shortest lease possible would be best because then we can get them real good on the increase once the area comes to where I think it will be? That's a great question. There is a segment of the market and a very valid and valuable segment of the market that looks for that type of investment. It's outside of my scope. We focus on the longer term lease properties But that's a great angle within the triple net property world that investors purchase. It's just outside of my scope. I have a very tight vision for what I sell. There's an incredible demand. There's lots of opportunities for these long-term lease properties. This is typically what the buyers seek, which is why it's my focus. But the angle you described is a great angle and... It's just outside of the box of what I focus on. To take that thought one step further, my clients sometimes call me when their lease becomes short and they ask me what to do. And 19 times out of 20, I'll tell them don't sell because if you sell, somebody else will pick up on that opportunity, that great location, the long-term vision that you have and they'll take your upside. So when the lease gets short, If the location is excellent, I advise my clients not to sell and not give somebody else that opportunity that you just asked about. How do you define longer term lease? In the triple net lease world, leases usually are between 10 and 25 years. And that would be the primary lease term before the option periods. Tell us the story of a deal that was a triple net but did not work out. There's probably many. You probably don't believe me when I tell you I don't have an example of any of my clients that it happened to. I'll tell you another story. The first property I ever sold was a Denny's in Colorado. And it was 
near the outlet stores off Interstate 70, very prominent location. I guess it didn't work out. The tenant was a small franchisee. There was a personal guarantee associated with the lease. The tenant closed their shop because the franchisee had, we'll say, other problems without getting into a long story. The personal guarantee held up. The client received all of their rent. The client worked a buyout with the tenant and was given a significant amount of money as the lease ended. And the property is now turned into a Chipotle in a witch witch sandwich shop. And it's probably tripled in value hmm. over this long duration of time. I don't have an example of difficult endings. One thing I would share is if you don't have a great location, when your tenant vacates, that's where you could get in trouble. If you know that McDonald's or Burger King or Dollar General or any tenant in a rural area, the current tenant might thrive because they might dominate a small market, which fits their model, but that's the current use. The problem arises when they vacate, what do you do with that vacant building in a very small marketplace? That's where clients could get in trouble. Based on your experience, what type of return should an investor expect on a triple net? The conservative McDonald's, Chick-fil-A type investment with a new 20-year triple net lease will be around a four cap. The franchise restaurants would be somewhere in the mid fives or approaching 6% cap rate and everything in between. So four to six is the range for most newer, longer leased triple net properties. Okay. And what's an example of something that is outside of that four to 6% range? As the location gets more inferior, again, we have those three criterias. We have location, strength of tenant, length of lease. When one or some combination of those three are not optimal, the cap rate rises. When all three are optimal, the cap rate is low. And when there's a fine balance between those three, you're in the mid-range. If your location is not very strong, the cap rate rises. If it's a weaker tenant, the cap rate rises. A shorter lease, the cap rate rises too. So when you get all three of those criteria that are not optimal, that's when you'd have the highest of cap rates. What's the highest cap rate you can think of on a deal you've done? Triple net deal. Again, I only focus on the quality properties, so not much higher than a seven cap, maybe an eight cap, but that was a long time ago. As the market has gotten better and better each year, as we've gotten further away from the recessionary times of a decade ago, cap rates on everything of all types of real estate were higher. But in this marketplace, not much more than a six cap in the last several years. Okay. So over the last several years, what was the property? Can you just tell us the property that was the highest cap rate and just describe it a little bit? Without researching, the first one that comes to mind was a Zaxby's restaurant, franchise guaranteed, kind of a B minus location. And that was about a year ago. And the cap rate was around a six and a half cap. Based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? My clients always 
ask me on my email list, there's around 200 properties and my clients frequently say, Alan, what's the best property on your list? (laughs) And my answer is always the same. It's the one in the best location. I'd rather have a franchise Burger King in an excellent location than a corporate McDonald's in an average location. So the answer to your question is the best property is the one in the best location. And you mentioned earlier how you're defining the best location is that will thrive and be easily retented and it's in a retail corridor. What are some other quantifiable things we can look at to say, yep, this property out of the other, not 199, is head and shoulders in the best location? Well, other quantifiable measures would be traffic counts, demographic, population counts, income levels. Those are other quantifiable. You can also look at market cap rate for tenants. Many of these tenants, McDonald's is a, I don't know the number, but it's well over $50 billion company in Chase Bank. You can look at Standard & Poor's credit ratings. There's another quantifiable measurement of worthiness credit-wise. And when you take a look at the location from a traffic count, retail corridor, population, income levels, market cap rate, how do you determine which of those are more important than others? That's a great question. There's not one way to answer your question. There's many measurements. So let's look at demographics. You can have several hundred thousand people in a five-mile radius But if you're half a block apart, it's a completely different area. If you're on the signalized traffic corner, or if you're on the side street a half block away, the value of the property might be one-tenth as valuable. So there's an exception to every rule, and you have to take location, demographics, retail corridor, strength of tenant. You take all these attributes and figure out what makes each property unique. And there's no two equal properties. Sometimes you have to make value judgments of which criteria to make more valuable than the other. Do you look at being on the corner more important than being sandwiched between on a out parcel to a Home Depot or Safeway or Walmart anchored center? There's so many great choices. Sometimes you have to make a value judgment of which ones you think will be the greatest long-term. Sometimes you say, I'll take a good tenant, not a great tenant, but a home run A-plus location. And that might be a value judgment. And maybe you get a little higher cap rate because it's a strong B tenant, but not an A, but you made up for it with the security that incredible location will bring to you. Very helpful. Thank you for that additional perspective on how to determine how to think about assessing opportunities and in particular locations. We're going to do a lightning round now. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? I'm ready. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, And in particular, want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above 
and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at www.dwellyn.com forward slash show. That's D-W-E-L-L-Y-N-N.com forward slash show. Best ever book you've recently read? I read a book. I think it was called Two-Page Marketing Plan. I read it over the holidays, and it really helped me dig into what I'm doing, how I'm doing, and how I can improve it. Best ever deal you've been a part of? I don't know the answer to the question. I close 30 to 50 properties every year. The one that my client loved the most. So I'm blessed with so many clients that buy so many great properties. When my client is thrilled at the end of the deal, that's the best deal. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Good question. I'm not sure off the top of my head the best answer to your question. I think if I had to do one thing, make sure I do consistently every deal is ask questions and just let my clients talk and answer their questions and let them ramble and tell me what's important to them and just listen, listen, listen before I advise. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? My mom has run a Thanksgiving charity project since I was probably eight years old. I was born and raised in Florida. I live in Colorado now. And for 40 plus years, I've been blessed to be part of this Thanksgiving charity project that has zero financial overhead. And we've fed many thousands of families and continue to do so. How can the best ever listeners learn more about your business and what you're doing? Two ways. Number one, my website, 1031tax.com. And on my website, you can sign up for my property list. And that's only for investors, not for brokers. And number two, I wrote the triple net property book. And if you're an investor looking to buy triple net property, you can call me at 800-454-0015 or contact me through my website and I'll mail you a hard copy of my book. Well, Alan, thank you so much for being on the show talking about triple net and the reason why you are laser focused on helping your clients get triple net properties and how to evaluate triple net properties, the type of returns to expect four to six percent generally, and in terms of how to assess the opportunity, location number one, strength of tenants number two, length of lease number three. And then you went into detail for how to think about each of those three categories in particular locations. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Joe. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at www.dwellin.com forward slash show. That's D-W-E-L-L-Y-N-N dot com forward slash show.